YouTube video game bullshit. Alright, so welcome to the panel. Um, we're going to be talking about weird and wild NES games. I'm Jeffrey Wittenhagen, and I'm part of Video Game Bullshit, uh, a gaming podcast that we do every week online. This episode will be a part of it. It'll be part of our live series. Um, as you can see, I'm not going sitting up on the top. I'm not going to use the microphone because, I mean, there's plenty of projection here, and I can talk. Um, so anybody who wants to participate, you know, if you're sitting right here, the microphone will pick you up. You can tell stories, too, because literally what we're going to do is we're going to just talk about weird and wild Nintendo games. But first, I want to talk about a little bit about the progression of where my books have went and where they're going in the future. So I do Hagen's Alley books. Uh, Complete NES, I had this here last year with me um, at the convention. I've done seven books now in the last two years that I've published that all ranged between 250 to 500 page monstrosities that you can bludgeon people to death with. They're fun as heck. But um, so this one started off, this was the NES Collector's Guide. My idea was I wanted a pocket guide to walk around when I'm at conventions because I always would pick up the same manuals every single time. I'm like, oh, I don't have Double Dragon 2 on manual. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I have three of them now. And so... Basically, I was like, I want something where I can check off every single piece of the pie, cart box manual, track it down. Of course, this doesn't fit in your pocket. I actually have a paperback one, as some people know, that you can put in your pocket. It's black and white, really quick. And I absolutely loathe using cell phone apps. Um, my collection is big. I have you know every single system. I have games for it. So I'm like, oh, do I have that game? And I'm sitting there flipping through flipping through so the book was a way for me to tactile do that and focus on one thing at a time um now with seven books later you know i'm not focusing on one thing at a time anymore <laughs> but um basically the idea was though because i was going for a licensed nes collection that's what i was going to stick with and then people went nuts this thing went crazy viral on kickstarter fully funded uh, everybody wanted a super nintendo book but in my mind i'm ocd i'm like i need to complete the collection so I finished this is the rest of it so we have the licensed and then everything else so 750 pages total of NES goodness so this is everything else from the Nintendo so as you can see here this one was like a little bit more streamlined for collecting you could write more stuff on it um, now I've added more graphically pleasing like bigger art like tons of stuff and like even on the insides everything is more of an art book style so now i have unlicensed paddle exclusives international unlicensed games so games that came out internationally that were like paying and stuff like that but they're uniques so they have to be the unique releases uh, i have all the different nintendo world championships and grails as well as some of the variants some of the major variants for the nintendo so that they have distinctly different artwork i want some people want to collect that and then i show how the rabbit hole can go really deep when it comes to the nintendo like these actually are all a different cartridge different style so the variants go crazy and people collect that nintendo versus arcades and play choice 10 um it's one thing that i collect this is my own personal grail i have a, a nintendo red tent uh, mine has a Play Choice 10 conversion in it by Nintendo with serialized and everything, which is really awesome. In here, though, I have all the marquees as well as the little uh, cards that go in the red tent. So in the red tent, you can put the cards in for the Versus games, which is really cool. Then over here, the Play Choice 10, they have toppers. So if you like Nintendo art, there's literally metal toppers that went on the top of the arcades for the Play Choice 10. Those can be collected. And when they didn't exist, because not every single game had a topper, um, I got with people and actually created my own versions of the toppers that don't exist. And the guys who make reproduction toppers have those art files so the community can get a complete collection of PlayStation 10 toppers with metal. So I figured that was a cool aspect. Now, Famicom, um, that's one thing, like, do you read Japanese? A little bit. A little bit? Um, so my thing is... Like, I always loathed going over to one of the sellers, buying a bunch of Famicom games, and then half of them are like, all right, this is another RPG, and I, you have to go through the text, can't really play it. So what I was like, well, when I make this section, 
This is literally hand-picked. I played every single Famicom game. Yes, all like 1,500 plus. And I went through, eliminated all the ones that exist in other territories and all the ones that require massive amounts of Japanese knowledge to enjoy. So some action RPGs, if you can get through the text real quick and kind of figure it out like Zelda style, I left those in there. But like the millions of pachinko games... Got rid of a lot of those. Uh, all the different sports titles that exist, um, unless they're a themed, a really fun, different take, um, then I'll leave it in. So I went through and like, so this is hand-picked and literally palatable. I actually took a picture because there's a guy with Famicom games here, and I went through and I, there was two Ninja Kun games. I put them on the book and took a picture of like, this is how you research for the Famicom, like utilizing this. So that's the aspect that I really enjoyed. I also did Famicom Disk System. Um, and use the art. The art in here, I didn't use the boxes for the Famicom games because I enjoy the different colored cartridges. I think that's a cool aspect that the Japanese Famicom had that we didn't have in the States is all the different colored cartridges. So you have blue and black. And uh, My favorite is Salamander, which is Life Force in the U.S., has a clear green cartridge. So it's like almost like light-up green cartridge. Really cool. Um, so then after that, I went through all the accessories, including homebrew brand new accessories for the systems, and then homebrews. Is anybody here familiar with homebrews? I know a couple are. What do you think a homebrew is? Go ahead. What's your definition of a homebrew? Uh, just, you know, something that's been made by the community. Made by the community. Okay, yeah, that's one. Fan developed. Fan developed. True, true. Um, so guys that make homebrews are very particular on what people categorize as a homebrew. And those do cons are considered part of it. And basically it has to be something that was developed after the heyday of the NES that couldn't be possibly published on the NES and developed by somebody from scratch, from the ground up. So there's games like Zelda Outlands, and you might see some of them here where people make actually a reproduction cartridge of a hack. And the hacks are something that it still take a lot of programming to do, but the hacks are using code that was established and made by somebody else that was released on the NES. So the homebrews, all of these games that are in here, and there's 580 that I found when I was researching, ridiculous amount of homebrews. Um, those were programmed from the ground up. So I categorized it by different sections because when you're making a game, your capabilities are different than other people. So maybe you can put yours out on a physical cartridge and release it like it's an NES game. Maybe you just want to get your idea out there and just put it on the digital, put it out digitally for everybody to enjoy. So I have sections for each of those. I have the physical, I have the digital, I have the stuff that's coming out that isn't out yet. There's people working on games all the time. So whatever I found that I knew, I put in the game in, in the book here for those games. And I still missed games because there's games that were released and announced after I published this. So that's like a never-ending cycle with homebrews. And I actually love that. I mean did you like getting games as a kid? I always ask everybody that. Everybody's like, yeah, I liked getting games as a kid. You can do that now for the NES. Get brand new games every month. Like, there's people that release stuff. It's almost like somebody needs to do, like, a loot crate for NES homebrews or something. It's like, hey, here's, here, here's the homebrew crate. Um, the other section that I did, limited editions. So because homebrews are made in such limited quantities, because it's a fan-made thing typically, they're not making thousands and thousands of copies, they also do these specialty things like this one of Study Hall here by Kahan Games. He put it in a binder because the game is like a little platforming game where you, you move across and it's almost puzzle style. You go up these different corridors and run across and avoid things. He put it in a binder, the game, and put a bunch of different inserts in it too. And he released 21 copies. So there's only 21 copies of that game in existence. And I tried in this whole section to estimate how many estimated copies there are of the game. So that way, if you're a collector, you know that this version of Super Bat Puncher, which is one of the best homebrews that has been created, there's only 20 copies physically of the game. It is available online to download, too. So I try to note all that, too. So this is a complete OCD uh, person's nightmare, <laughs> like doing all the research on this. But this is where I got into the weird and wild. And you can see when I do the screenshots, I'm, I'm, I keep it classy. Put a poo on it and the paint one. 
<laughs> but it's it's super fun. And I tried to make as big of art as possible. Like the like these upcoming games, try to make it huge. Um, there's a few games in here that are going to be released by uh, Mega Cat. Mega Cat uh, Studios is in there, uh, showing off some of their games. They just released, I think, Almost Hero, Log Jammers, and Expedition and City Trouble. A couple new Nintendo games that they've released recently. So, and their stuff is top notch. It was one of those things that we talked about uh, last year's panel when I was here with Greg Caldwell from Retrotainment Games. Uh, they were saying, you know, it's one of those things where they get together a group of individuals that are like-minded. Instead of having one sole programmer, they actually have people to feed off of with, it, with ideas and information. So they got one guy that does art, one guy that does programming, one guy that does like backgrounds, and then they do quality control across the board. So that way, if you have an idea, like, oh, this is going to be great, nobody can understand that guy. <laughs> like, we can't understand that. And it, it makes sense, though, when you start doing it and, and feeding off of each other. So there's multiple different avenues when it comes to, to homebrew games and weird and wild Nintendo. Um, so what I want to do is talk about some of our favorite games of Nintendo, talk about some of the weirdest stories that you may have had on the Nintendo. And I got a bunch too, so we can go through. Does anybody have any weird stories that you want to go with that's in the back of your mind right now? Anybody can talk that's sitting here listening. This is a community thing. You'll be on the podcast. It'll be fun. Just think. Uh, I'll tell one of my first ones I was actually talking about uh, recently with a buddy. And basically, so one of the weird stories that I've had is... Does anybody remember the old save system for the Nintendo, the NES? Battery on the disc. Battery on the disc. And I was never an advocate of holding reset to power off because I didn't really care. Um, So I would just power off my system and it would save no problem. Does anybody know why you had to do that? Didn't have a save IC chip on it. Um, they, they do have a battery save. But re- the reason why you had to press reset first is because of the power state that the Nintendo's in. So when you press that power button, it does a jolt. So the Nintendo, if that jolt hits the battery, it, it fries your save. Whereas when you press the reset, it, connects, it disconnects the, uh, the actual voltage. So then it, it actually puts it in a stable state. You press power, there's no jolt. That's why it always recommends you to do that because the Nintendo was not designed with saves and save cartridges in mind when it was initially made. That's why there was passwords on the Famicom games, and then they had the Famicom disk system for all the saves. So you always thought my freaking uh, my battery was cruddy or something like that. You, so you never used to hit reset? <laughs> See? So this is a weird story. So I went, and I used to be a rental kid growing up, so we would always rent games. as I couldn't afford to buy new games all the time. Uh, didn't have the expendable cash. And, and video games were an amenity back then. Right now, video games are part of our subculture. It's on par with movies and TV and, and music. It's, video games is right there. Back then, you know, Nintendo brought it back to the forefront by marketing it as a toy. So, like, I would rent games because my parents would give me a couple bucks to go rent the newest game. And I would rent Legend of Zelda. So I'm sitting there playing it all weekend. Finally gets again and and we got hit with the power surge in the house. And of course, the whole time I hadn't been saving, so I didn't care. I didn't even know you could manually save without dying either, which apparently on the second controller, if you press like B and select or something like that, it'll bring up a save screen on Legend of Zelda. Didn't even know that. Uh, So it was hilarious though, so I do that, I go to put it back on and I'm like, blank cartridge. (laughs) I was like, ah. Completely killed me. I swore off Zelda for the longest time after that till Link to the Past drew me in, sucked me in. I prefer the battery saves back in the day. and I think most people saw it as an advancement over the password, but now when you're playing stuff that's 20, 30 years old and you have to worry about those batteries dying and so forth, I think the password is actually a more stable system. You can write down, you can write down your password on a piece of paper and stick it in, in, in the box in the cartridge sleeve, yep. and that's good forever, whereas those batteries, I mean, I, I know you can take the cartridge apart and replace the battery, but... Sometimes that still wipes the cart. That's right. <laughs> so, now, so now when you're, you know, playing them in the retro market like we're doing now, and this stuff is old, I think the password system is probably the way to go. I mean, you're right, 100%. The other thing is, back when we played them initially, there was no internet. 
So literally, you had to write them down. Now, if you get lost or something, like go look up on game FAQs. Up oh, here's how you start at level three with the password. Like two seconds. There's no misinterpretation of the eyes and the ones. Like I would miswrite stuff. I always wonder about that. So, so those passwords. I, I assume they were. You know, they were the same for that point of progression in everyone's game, but, mm -hmm. you know, what, what if you're at the exact same point, but, but you picked up an item in a cave on level three, and the other guy didn't, is that password different? Um, yes and no. So depending on the game, the, um, the password is literally just accessing that part of memory in RAM that's saved, and those bits are different parts of the programming. So every game's programmed differently. So the passwords would be set up differently, and it all depends on what the developer saved in that password. So if they're tracking those, they're tracking the individual pickups, those would change the bit in the password. So your password wouldn't be the same as his password. However, if the password is exactly the same, that means they weren't tracking that. So it wouldn't matter if you picked up those items or not. It would just reset to zero when you start that game at that part in the game. So some games will start you somewhere. Some games will start you somewhere and keep your inventory or your money and stuff like that. So it's, I, that's one thing I always used to hack as a kid is I would just change everything to, like, nines on stuff, and I didn't realize hexadecimal A through, you know, F or whatever. Um, but I would just change it to nine and see if I could still start the game and then have, like, a hundred of an item or something, just max it out just by glitching the game. Like, because that's legitimately what it was is you would change an, a number, and if, it was, if that was what was tracking your inventory, you'd get more. So I would definitely mess with that. I used to mess with and hack games all the time just to mess with things. Uh, the other thing was nowadays with homebrews, homebrews that save, they don't use batteries, they use flash memory. So because the technology has advanced, it's actually cheaper to do a bigger cartridge than what was available on the NES ever. And it's cheaper to do that now with, with how tech is. And they just have flash memory on there so it just flashes it into the save and that will last pretty much the rest of your life. So it won't, you won't ever have to worry about replacing anything. So that's an interesting aspect, because somebody asked me, are you going to have saving? I'm like, well, I don't want batteries on my games. Like, and they're like, no, no, we just do flash memory, which is right on the cartridge now. Just costs an extra 15 cents or something. Like, crazy. This game's from my collection I haven't played in years, and, and I have a lot of time invested in it, and I don't know when I go back to play them if that battery will still hold the save or not. I mean, I've been shocked. I've thrown games in that are, you know, 15, 20 years old, and there it is. My save's still there, but... Mm -hmm. The one thing you got to worry about with batteries, especially arcades, and also with capacitors and transistors, is suicide stuff batteries. licking, <laughs> leaking. Suicide batteries. So the batteries that literally will blow up and leak everywhere. Because they're meant to do so. Because they're meant to do so by the arcade owners. That's so shifty. I love it. It's such a marketing thing. But the thing is, you can replace all that. Like, if you know about it, you can replace it pretty easily. It's the same thing, though. Some of those batteries could leak on the NES cartridges and ruin the, the boards. So you got to be wary. Like, I always open up my games when I get them just to inspect and make sure that they're not really messed up, especially if it's more than a $20 game or something. I, I make sure that everything looks good in them. Most, it's crazy. Most pinball guys are like highly aware of uh, the, the on uh, onboard Hergen battery packs. You know, like a lot of them are installing like the remote batteries. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to keep you know the, those batteries from leaking all over your MPU board and stuff. You know, it's like batteries, capacitors. It's like a big issue. You know, like with the tech of your your games anymore. Well, and, like pinball is insane because you have to literally have almost a master's degree in electric electrical engineering to be able to work on them things. Like, like seriously, like I was I had got an evil Knievel at a yard sale and I'm, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, there's rats living in this thing. <laughs> like, so I got it to boot up. But I couldn't. I could never get the play field to work decent, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I got. I got a newfound respect for anybody. And this was like five years ago. Newfound respect for people that collect pinball. Cause I'm like, "Wow!" I just want to get one of those virtual ones like they got on the floor, where you literally just have the two screens, and it'll change for every game. Because it's like, there's no way I could possibly do it. There we go. We got a little music. <laughs> but yeah, like literally, like that's that's kind of my ideas. But the thing is, of course, digital isn't going to play as well as the analog experience when you're playing a real pinball machine. Never will. But it's like you're playing on a piece of paper. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's so just flat. like playing a, a game on the uh, iPad or iPhone. Like mm -hmm. If you try to play a game on the iPhone, it's, just, it's off. So that's the, that's, you're always going to have that, and 
that's why like conventions like replay where you have every single pinball ever that ever existed pretty much it's like you even look at like far sites like pinball arcade it, like looks so much better than like those vp caps do you know? yeah you know? for real like they really do and that's why I want to wait until the pinball arcade releases something that's actually a stand-up cab. I'm with that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on it. But it's <laughs> you still won't have the the build-up and the depth that you really need. But it's going to be close. Sure. I mean, like people with like uh, uh, space issues, you know, like you can't friggin' collect like 15 cabinets or whatever. You know, yeah. You got that one unit that plays all the games you ever wanted. It's like final resting house, move in an actual engineer that knows how to work on pinball with me so that way he can work on my, my forwards and stuff. <laughs> I mean, the key. I know I know low-level um, arcade, though. I can fix my arcade stuff and resolder and all that, so that's the other aspect. Um, I, I do really do like my Play Choice 10 uh, arcade. I don't know if anybody's played a Play Choice 10 before. You know what Play yeah, Choice 10? Absolutely. Yeah, the stand-up. Mine, mine's in my red tent, and the issue with having it so the play choice 10 stand up you have the game it's usually timered in the arcade so that way you play mario 2 you have three minutes for your 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 one two quarters whatever it is and you get to play mario 2 in the arcade you can disable that time and of course yeah. but in the real arcades they're not going to do that they want you to sure. spend more money and there's a second screen that has information it says super mario 2 it has a little blip about it and says how many players there are well, on mine, there's only one screen. It's a versus, but on the other side, I have versus Gradius. So basically, I only have one screen, so I can never see the actual instructions, which is, that's the one thing. But on mine, I have it modified to where it's a custom uh, iOS board, like BIOS, and it can play a, I have a cartridge adapter, so I can put any Nintendo cartridge in my PlayJoyce 10. I played in the arcade. And it has a low-profile joystick and buttons, which is really cool. So you can play it, and it feels like playing a Nintendo, about as close as you can get on an arcade. I think it feels better than the NES Advantage controller. Oh, those, uh, those Play Choice 10 games, you know, I've, I've looked at them before, and they, they look like the graphics are identical to the NES versions. Are they exactly the same, or are there differences? As far as I know, the Play Choice 10 are one-for-one, one, literally just marketing from Nintendo to get you to want to buy their games. Um, and you get to play them in the arcade for a certain amount of time. Uh, there's nothing available that wasn't available in the U.S., with exception of Goonies. Goonies was released in the U.S., which Goonies 1, not Goonies 2, was released on the U.S., which was only released for the Famicom. There's also a Versus Goonies on the Versus Arcade stand-up, too, a big old one. Um, it's rumor that that was never released in the U.S., though only in Japan, but I think that there should there was... I have English marquees and stuff that I found for for the book for imagery so there is that um but the thing is is that on the verses there are the games are slightly different they're usually a little harder uh the versus mario brothers has like a different setup for the levels so it removed all your one-ups it also made the levels a little more difficult like i think it's like five three was the bane of my existence for a while because i was sitting there playing it in the actual arcade and there's this like leap of faith jump you have to do at full high speed as Mario and if you don't do it you don't hit the turtle shell to, to propel yourself properly to make that live so that's the insanity part is like that game at 5-3 you can't warp to level 8 like you can in Super Mario Brothers 1 no I'm good I'm projecting okay yeah I mean yeah, I'm, I'm good like <laughs> I like to do more of a community aspect oh, when I talk oh yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, otherwise, I mean, as long as you can hear me back there, we're, we're good. Like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so so basically, though, that's the cool thing about the versus Super Mario Brothers. And I swear versus Gradius is harder. My my cousin can no death Gradius on the NES, and he's like, oh, no, it's the, it's the same exact game. And But he hasn't played through it all the way yet, so. But that's the thing, though, is that, like, it may be identical on some of the games, though. And I haven't. I'm not um, as knowledgeable on the original NES Gradius as he is, so once he plays through my Versus cab, he'll know definitively. First level is probably the same, though. But yeah, it's really cool, though, the differences um, in some of the games. So I would recommend collecting some of the games on the Versus cab. There are a few that are Japanese only. Um, Ninja Jaja Maru-kun, or however you say it, is a Japanese exclusive Versus. Um, in the book, I actually had to reproduce the marquee because there isn't one 
There's no marquee because it's like not known to exist. But there's always one guy on eBay that has it listed for a ridiculous amount of money, the copy of the chips. So, and the difference, you know the difference between the Versus and the Play Choice when it comes to like hardware? No. So, Play Choice 10, legitimately cartridges. They're big, longer boards that they have like this little connector piece, and you push it in the board. There's 10 slots, Play Choice 10. There's 10 slots for that. Some of them are full, like longer cartridges, other ones are shorter. Um, I have a homebrew guy that's making homebrew cartridges for like new Nintendo homebrew games so they don't have to recycle. Because there's a community that will sit there and burn any game you want. You want Defender 2 on the play choice? They'll take the old chips, burn them, burn new chips. You pop off the chips, put on new chips. It doesn't ruin the board because you can literally replace and reuse. So say you take, I don't know, Ninja Gaiden and put some compatible for your game on there. You can play that game. You want to put Ninja Gaiden back on, you just carefully replace the chips because they can be popped off and they on. socket the IC chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah you socket yeah. the ICs. Yeah. And you can do the um, the actual name tables, too, so to read correctly, too, in the, in the Play Choice 10. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. But then my buddy, his name is Memblers, he's working on an actual homebrew board that people can make their own games onto. So... When I have my my games like um, fully released, because there's an RPG where you collect Nintendo games that's going to be playable on the Nintendo, <laughs> where you have to play Nintendo games to unlock abilities in the RPG. Um, that's done. He's literally doing the last line of beta testing. He's going to have it to me. It was associated with this book two years ago, and he said he would have it done in six months, and I'm like, dude, it's an RPG. Seems like you should get Jay Bartlett attached to that somehow. <laughs> Jay. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Here is, here's a good story. I got a good story on that. So my game is called uh, Black Box Challenge, and the guy put Jeffrey Wittenhagen's in front of me because he thought it would be hilarious, like Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat. I said, what about Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Same thing, right? He's like, oh, no, no, Danny Sullivan's. <laughs> That's what uh, Sly Dog Studios told me. So mine's called Jeffrey Wittenhagen's Black Box Challenge. Uh, Jay Bartlett and Rob McCollum were doing an NES game. I backed their Kickstarter, had no clue what the game was, um, and apparently they're doing RPG where you collect video games just like in their thing. And I'm like, and Rob goes, what the heck, man? And I'm like, oh, I had no clue, dude. The thing is, though, is that their programmer is Joe Granado. Joe Granado is working on a game called Mystic Searches, and that's been in production longer than my game's been in production. And he's still working on it and adding stuff. That game's an action RPG. It'll be epic. But Rob and Jay are waiting for theirs. Theirs hasn't even started programming yet. Uh. And it's been, they, they were funded before my Kickstarter was funded. Their backers are all waiting, including myself. Um, but mine's a full RPG where you collect NES games. So, but I want to put that on a Play Choice 10 board. I think that would be cool. And not only doing that, but getting the metal topper to go with it. And classic release with the old box. Because I have some boxes, so I could have somebody give, make a box that's the exact same dimensions. Um, there's an arcade guy in the community on Claw. His name's Buffett. Um, or Buffet, however you want to say his name. But I saw him at MAGFest, and he's like, dude, as soon as you do that, let me know. I'm like, we'll, we'll get a production run going, so that way we can we get a full release of the Play Choice game. I thought that would be pretty rad. Even if only a few people get it, like just to have people experience it in a different way, I think that'd be cool. And, I mean, people aren't making Nintendo games to, to make a million dollars. They're making Nintendo games because we love Nintendo. Like, I'm doing the books because I love video games, and I'm OCD, so i got to organize everything the same. <laughs> so, so where I'm planning on progressing with these, though, before I get off track is that as I'm learning and, and upgrading my process, I know people want the graphically beautiful stuff with the comprehensiveness, and I still won't go against making things minimalistic when I'm writing about them. I want it to be minimalistic in nature. Um, so the thing is is that I'm going to probably, in the next five years, do a definitive edition. The definitive edition might be that big, though. <laughs> So that's going to be interesting. Uh, but I'm going to start doing that for every console. So my Super Nintendo books that I did. You didn't even get to see them. I was here last year working on the Super Nintendo books, released them, sold out. Like, gone. So now I need to do, I'm going to do a definitive edition, but I am now a publishing company. I completely went, I got an LLC, I'm incorporated, all that stuff. So now I'm going to do a much bigger print run, get it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, the whole thing. So once I do that, I'll have tons of books on hand. That's been my hardest thing. Like, he came for a 91 book. I'm like, 
they're gone. <laughs> like it's, they, I, I can only bring so many of these things. I have a few left on the website, but because I do the, the culture chronicles year by year, everything in video games. And if I go this route with the culture chronicles, they're going to be a lot bigger of a book because I can. And I only make it smaller because of, you know, financially I got to be able to get them out. So if when the finances start to not be an issue and you have a passionate guy making the books, I'm just going to make them as ridiculous as possible. And you're going to have something you can bludgeon people with when they talk back to you about Nintendo. Oh, you don't like Nintendo? <laughs> Do crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, the, so the Play Choice 10 has the chips. And I always come full circle. The Versus cabinet, the, each one, they have a Versus board. And the board has chipsets that you have to replace. So depending on the game, there's multiple chips that you have to have that represent the graphics, the characters, the sound for the game. Certain games like Konami, they'll have this daughter board that you put on there because their game uses more graphics than was capable on the actual board that Nintendo released. So they released, you know, a black box level board. Well, they're putting out, you know, advanced Konami games. And those games, you actually have to put, like, a little darter board that seats in the certain character spot. And then you have to put the other chips on it. And it gives you a little bit more, like, maybe an MMC3 style graphical boost. So that one's a little harder to collect for. And it's not as, but doesn't have the aesthetics. Because, you know, you get the boxes for the play choice. You got the, the, all the cool stuff. Like, whereas the Play Choice 10s are, like, exactly like the cartridges that you can buy for home, the Versus cabinets, uh, sometimes the games are a little different. Most notably, it's the one duck hunt that you can shoot the dog. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, in Versus Duck Hunt, which, do they have a Versus Duck Hunt out here? I haven't seen it no. yet. So, you can shoot, so literally, like, if you shoot the dog, he goes, he says, don't shoot me. <laughs> Like that's revenge right there. That's that's gets, awesome. Gets all black faced, like looking like Al Jolson or something. <laughs> exactly. Walks away on crutches. Um, the one that is here on the floor is versus slalom, and versus slalom made by Rare, who later on went to do Banjo Kazooie and Donkey Kong Country, and now they're working for Microsoft. But you literally stand on it like you're on a slalom. And you push forward to go forward, you press the buttons to jump, and you actually have to shift your body weight to go left and right. It's still NES, one tap goes straight left, one tap goes straight right, so you still got to shift like a ton, like ridiculousness. But it's really fun, and that would be one that like, is a different experience than you could have on the NES. It's your full body motion. So you got to think, like, did they maybe make, like, the Wii ideas off of stuff like that? Where it's like, oh, yeah, we got this crazy movement. You know, you got the power pad. You got the versus slalom where you got to use your body weight. That's like the Wii mo- That's like the Wii balance board. You know what I mean? It legitimately works just like that. So this is an old arcade game. Um, the other thing is, is you do have the marquees, which is a cool piece of the versus puzzle. I think the marquee guys here have one of them here. Um, Hogan's Alley, I think I saw. So um, that's a cool thing, too, is I like to just get the marquees and put them up on the, in the game room. Just have some of my favorite games up there or ones that we did for bullshit homework on the podcast because um, we just did Ninja Spirit for the TurboGrafx-16 for bullshit homework. Next up is going to be Smash TV for the Genesis. Um, I'm going to play the Super Nintendo, too, so we can compare and contrast. I remember when that came out, you know, one, one of the... One of the- uh, shortcomings of the SNES that say you can't handle that many animated sprites on screen because it had a slower processor and they were amazed at how you could have all those enemies on Smash TV with no slowdown. Yeah. They didn't know they didn't know how they did it. My cousin loves the music on the Genesis one because it's bassier and beatier and when you're shooting it's it's like a little more tactile when you're playing. So it'll be interesting. But my thing, my main argument is the controller on the Super Nintendo is literally two crosses, basically, so you can play. Yeah. Genesis, if you want to do that, I think you have to use two controllers. Mm-hmm. I think you do. Yep. Nintendo, you definitely do. I had like a like, couple different options you could actually set up in the menu, like how you wanted to handle this. Yeah. You know, none of them are good. <laughs> but um, does the six-button controller fix that? Can you have like the left and then you know use the right part or the left part of the, the square? I think some of the sprites for the bosses were also much smaller on the Genesis version. 
Right, you're right. Yeah, because the the Super Nintendo one, the big what's the big guy at the end, the mutoid mutoid man, I think yeah. it is. He was like he, a lot smaller. I think all the normal enemies are pretty consistent. I mean, though. if you're get, if the measuring stick is the arcade, there's no question the SNES version is much closer. It's almost almost arcade perfect. Nice. So I'm gonna have to play down. the arcade then too, because I mean I have um, so for me to play all the arcade games, I move around uh, all the time, so. Um, I actually have my Xbox, I have coin ops on it, and I play that on a CRT. So that way it's as close as I can get without having to lug around a million cabs. And I'll play it on that, and then I'll play the Genesis on the Genesis, the Super Nintendo on the Super Nintendo, all on a uh, PVM, professional video monitor, so it has, like, no lag, best video you can have. Um, I'm not, I don't go as far as to do, like, S-Video or scar, use SCART cables or anything when I do it, but... Um, I at least try to get the best picture quality I can because I like to have as close as possible when I was a kid, but a little bit better because, you know, I can afford a better TV now. <laughs> now I PVMs have exploded in price. Like, yeah. you look fine in one. <laughs> Got mine for 50 bucks from a buddy in Indianapolis who was starting an arcade. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it's the best part. So basically, though, um, I'm just checking the time to make sure because there's not going to be anybody here to round us off, so we're just keep chatting. <laughs> so yeah, the, the the BS homework was was the idea was is that you know I'm sitting here making all these books and collecting games, and my backlog kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So the BS homework is like we hold each other accountable. We got to play because we got to talk about it. And sometimes it takes us a month till we get to the next BS homework in because it's like we get sidetracked or something comes up or. Um, we had a good talk about um, Ninja Spirit was awesome. It's so easy too, like believe it or not, it's real easy because you can literally keep starting on the level infinitely. So like you you get infinite continues. So if, as long as you're persistent enough, you'll get through it. And uh, that was really really fun homework to do too because we literally went across every level, every boss, um, talked about a bunch of the craziness of it. Um, one thing that we were talking about that we haven't talked about in an episode, we talked about it off episode. Uh, there was an article released that talked about voltage ruining your Nintendo Entertainment System or the cartridge Be- for bootleg Chinese games and flash cartridges like your power packs and your Everdrives. And they said that basically your Nintendo outputs 5 volts and the cartridge outputs 3.3 volts. And that excess 1.7 has to go somewhere, and the heat is going to ruin the system or the cartridge. Um, it was kind of vague in, in what they said it would ruin, but um, my thing was is that resistors exist on those cartridges to prevent that. And they didn't touch upon that, so I asked the guy who's working on the PlayChoice 10 board, and I asked him, like, so are there, like, little resistors and things on some of the games that people make on the boards? He's like, on the power pack, there's, like, multiple. He's like, now, the Chinese bootleg ones, I would worry. <laughs> I would worry that stuff might just fry your stuff. It might fry your system. It might fry the game. Because they just make it the lowest common denominator. They don't include those things because they don't need to. Um, so that should be wary of. But that is an ongoing hot topic item in the homebrew community because homebrews also use custom boards and stuff. Does that output the 3.3? Is it kind of mess with stuff? And all the homebrew developers I've talked to said that all of their games are 100% work, will work fine. They have the, the, the proper pieces in place on the boards to prevent that devulsion of voltage like that's something that like somebody made up and it sounded a lot to me like when they said don't play a burned game in your sega cd because it's going to ruin your sega cd yet for the past 20 years i've been using burned games in my sega cd with no problem and the original same sega cd like and then when i get the game i get i play the actual game but until you can i always am a huge advocate of playing being able to play as much as you possibly can like like this actual thing like i don't have all of the famicom games i would like to and as i go around and hunt i will find some and i'll pick them up but i'm not going to buy online not going to buy on ebay i don't enjoy that i enjoy finding them and going home and having those couple games and playing them and having the experience too the nostalgia is why we love the nes why we love the super nintendo why we love those systems is because we had cool experiences and stories so i got sidetracked away from stories did any of you guys think of any crazy weird stories yet 
So I could talk, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what I'm using this for now is literally like I have an SD card loaded up with all these games now. So I can play through them and whatever I want to play through them. So it's, it's one of those things where it's now hand-picked. I don't even have to play a ROM I don't like. <laughs> That's the key. You always used ROMs and emulation as a shopping list. Exactly. That's that's one very relevant way to use ROMs and emulation. And I mean, I think that the games were released so long ago. It's not like you're bootlegging a Switch game on your computer or something. That's that's a little bit weird. But doing like the old Nintendo stuff, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get these games because these games are amazing, and now I have an awesome experience with them. And then you want to get them with the box. That's a cool way to go about collecting. Everybody does it differently. Some people's financial situations, they can't go and collect shit tons of games. It, it is what it is. And you can't judge, you know what I mean? So that's the other aspect. Um, we, didn't, we talked some 90s, but I would like to go over at the end of the panel here where I'm going next. Because obviously I do a million freaking things. Tons. So the last thing that I just had, this was released. The NES Oddities and the Homebrew Revolution along with the Nintendo Entertainment System Compendium. The compendium of personal stories from everybody around the community, including backers and people on YouTube and everything, wrote stories, personal stories about the NES. And that one's about 268 pages. And it's all personal stories, full graphics and awesome designs. Uh, that one is coming. I have it fully done. It's edited. It's actually being printed right now. Um, as, our, as we're recording this. So it'll be on, it, I'll probably have it in about four weeks because it's coming from overseas. Um, the next thing I'm, and I actually concurrently, VGBS Season 1, we released on Kickstarter with an NES cartridge that you play in your Nintendo and it shows a synopsis of all the episodes. And it shows all the BS homework and we graded them all, we gave them grades, so that's all in a section. Section for all the backers to get their name on the cartridge. And then there's some music, like a homebrew uh, album. Because that's an actual classification of homebrew. People do chiptune albums. So I have a chiptune album guy that put all of his music on the cartridge, too. So he has, like, a full album's worth of music, which is pretty rad. Um, so that, actually, I got all the pieces of that. I'm shipping that out to everybody now. Um, I think there's going to be about 60 cartridges total. That uh, We just do what, what people back. Um, we'll do season two eventually. And that, uh, that crazy memblers guy might have a way for us to play the full podcast on the cartridge next time. Like four gigabytes of data. Insanity. And guys, guys, we call him Yoda for a reason. Like he's, a, he's a nut. Um, so those two are done. So what I'm working on now is the definitive edition of the complete SNES. So my Super Nintendo book is 500 pages. It's about to be about six and some change, probably 630, 630 pages. And I'm adding Super Famicom in the same general context of the um, Famicom in here, where you don't have to know Japanese to enjoy. So there's, there's probably about 300 of those that, that exist on the Super Famicom. It's going to be insane. So I'm taking that to Kickstarter, going to release that. Uh, might do a reprint of the Super Nintendo Compendium because that was a thing with the Super Nintendo book. Um, once I release that and that I get that completely out because I won't do the next Kickstarter until all the backers get their books. That's how I do it. Um, I need to do 92, 1992 Culture Chronicles and the complete Sega Genesis. So Sega Genesis is going to be all of these aspects. The homebrew community is not as big on the other systems as it is on the NES with relation of probably the 2600 is pretty big but um the genesis i'm gonna have everything including your exclusives i'm gonna go to the sega channel though and mega net and the japanese version which i think is just called sega net i'm gonna do all those that were exclusive and playable the mega drive games in japan have to be playable without knowing japanese um i may if i have room i'm gonna put sega cd in there and 32x because those libraries aren't that big um, the Mega CD is, though. The, so the Sega CD has a few hundred. Mega CD almost has a thousand games or something. It's insane. So, But I'm going to try to include all of that in one book. So if it's five, six hundred pages, you know, I'm just going to let it go crazy. And see where it goes. And then from there on out, I usually do a poll for all the backers. So, like, if you're a backer, I go, hey, what do you want me to work on next? Here's your options. And the options will probably be, like, TurboGrafx-16, Game Boy... Nobody's done a Game Boy book. Um, not like this. <laughs> uh, Turbo Graphics will be fun. Neo Geo will be interesting to do, but uh, the Neo Geo, there's kind of a couple books out there already, and it's not that big of a library. So people want it enough, I'll do it. 
but I'm going to have to get rights from SNK or something because they're sticklers. I know that was kind of the same generation as the Genesis Nintendo Turbo, but a lot of people hope, you know, they look at that system differently. They don't lump it in with that, with, with the 16-bit console wars. It's because it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's legitimately a translation of their MVS arcade to the AES in the in the consoles like no in the difference. home console mm-hmm. there's no difference and what's crazy is that um it was expensive it yeah. was really expensive yeah. it was a great system the, the, the only downfall to me was you were you were i guess limited is a good word you're limited to the their arcade games there were really no third party yeah third party support was was weak so they were arcade perfect but that's all you were ever going to get was the arcade games so you were you're aware of course of the homebrew scene on the neo geo yeah. now Oh, and NG Dev Team does a lot of their Neo Geo homebrews, and it's $500 to pre-order one game. And if you don't pre-order, it's on eBay for $2,000. And it's like, oh. So their last one is like a Metal Slug-style game. It's called Krautbusters, where you're taking out Germans in World War II. And it looks cool. I, pre- I was the first one I pre-ordered. Um, they have four or five games, I think. Yeah, I, got, I usually get them... The- they usually release the same game on the Dreamcast, and I get the Dreamcast. So, I emailed them. I go, is Raison, because that was the last one they did before this one, is that one going to be on Dreamcast? They're like, no, we're done with Dreamcast, and because they, too many people pirate them. And so, I'm like, so basically you got Raison and Krautbuster are going to be the first two that are only MVS exclusive, and it's like, ah, oh, so you're not going to be able to play those games except for on the actual Neo Geo cabs. So that's going to be hard for me. They're limited in their market there. Yeah, they are. And that's why I was like, the Dreamcast people, you'd think that would be a pretty wide market for them. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, Obviously, I'll cover that if I ever do a Neo book. Um, I'm going to cover everything just because I'm crazy. Uh, I I enjoy it, though. That's the thing, though, is that this is my passionate hobby. I do work full-time job like everybody else. It's just... This is the uh, the side business, the side fun. It was the first home console with a memory card to save, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had a memory card, and there's actually a new homebrew memory card that saves like like four or five times the amount of the original, so you could save the entire library on it ten times over or something. So it's always expandable. Um, there's actually another homebrew that's coming out for the Neo Geo that's coming out from another programmer, and he said... He's like, well, it's going to be cheap, so NG Dev Team's going to be mad at me. So either they're going to buy it from me and release it, or I'm going to release it for the you know a couple hundred bucks that it's going to cost to make it. <laughs> like he's like, I'm not looking to to profit off of it. I just want to get a new game out. So it'll be interesting to see how that Neo Geo homebrew, if it does a shift as other people come into it and it grows, because that's the thing with all homebrews, uh, like. The Super Nintendo right now, still, in my opinion, it's in its infancy. You only have, like, really Collector Vision that's putting out some good games on the Super Nintendo besides for some of the old-school programmers. So it'll be cool to see if they do anything that rivals the Super Nintendo, too. Um, looks like I'm getting close to time. Um, does anybody have any questions or stories while we wrap up here? Because I don't want to get into Mark's time here Classic Game Room when he gets here. I thought, I thought of my story. Oh, yes, let's hear the story. Like, growing up, like, through the whole, like, NES era, you know, like, I never had one, you know, like, I had uh, an Atari 2600 all the way up until the 90s, you know, like, uh, when I got my first uh, Sega Genesis. My first uh, NES was uh, acquired through Mortal Kombat with a family of raccoons. Because I found it in a dumpster, you know. Like I found my NES in a dumpster. Like picked it up after I freaking fought these raccoons and uh, you know, fi- fixed it up. And it's the same uh, unit that I'm working, I'm playing on now. Really? Yeah. So that's that's the thing is like those systems are really versatile when it comes to. Once you hook them up, they're bulletproof. Yeah, it's yeah. like unless you're literally like manhandling the thing, like trying to get it to break. Like those things last. Virtually yeah, forever. 72 pen, pen connector is like the biggest issue. You know, like those pens get bent and... So so you said it was with Mortal Kombat. Which Mortal Kombat was with it? Uh, Mortal Kombat with the raccoons. <laughs> I had to fight a bunch of raccoons to get this uh, NES out of the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. They're, that was their home. <laughs> That's hilarious. Though. That's a crazy, crazy, pretty good story. I like it. 
So, uh, thanks everybody for coming over here. Again, I'm Jeffrey Wittenhagen. Hagensalley.com is my website. Um, basically, you can go there. Video Game Bullshit, the podcast is there, as well as all my book things. As I do updates and pictures and live streams showing off books, I'll upload those to the site. I've been getting better about it. Basically, like with Kickstarter and Patreon and all that stuff, like I have a million places to update. And I'm trying to put it all now in Hagen's Alley, so that way it's one place for people to go to. I have trouble finding, you know, following other stuff and researching all 580 games in the homebrew section of this book. I realize how maddening it is because literally there's not one repository for homebrew, not even close. But at least I got a, a good start for people because there's still probably now at least a half dozen to a dozen games that have come out since I released this book. Um, which means that I probably should do some kind of update, maybe just a homebrew section part in five years or something, and it would be an extra 100, 200 pages. It'd be crazy. <laughs> um, thanks, everybody, and my stuff will be at the table over here uh, inside the vendor hall. I got a table set up with uh, books. These are the only two that I have left, the two, two different ones that I have left right now, Complete NES and NES Oddities, all about the NES right now. So, thanks. Killer brother. Yeah. Went well. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yay! Thank you.